listening to the Rainmaking Podcast. Hosted by high-stakes headhunter, author, and professional speaker, Scott Love. You're listening to the Rainmaking Podcast, and my name is Scott Love. Thanks for joining me today. Ladies and gentlemen, you are in for a real treat. One thing that I'm going to be doing a little bit differently this year is not necessarily looking at client development from an academic perspective, as I think if, well, that's what I've done since I started this podcast, but also looking at, at it from a boots on the ground in the trenches perspective. I'm going to start interviewing more rainmakers, people that have done it, people that aren't consulting on how to become a rainmaker, people that aren't writing books, although that's really interesting and helpful, but people that have actually done it. From these stories, you're going to learn how did they get their start? How did they overcome certain obstacles that were in their way? These are going to be people that are building organizations and that people that are within organizations. And we're going to do a lot within various industries this year. Our first one, in terms of our story of interviewing rainmakers, is with Jeff Ifra. Jeff Ifra is a leading attorney within his specialized area of expertise in gaming law, and he's built himself to have a household name with him and his firm in that area. He's going to share with you how he did that. I've known him for some time, and I talk about that in my interview with him today. So even if you're not in the legal industry, if you're in professional services, business development, or B2B sales, there's going to be some very good lessons here in my conversation with Jeff Ifra. By the way, if you get a minute, if you get insight from these shows, I'd really appreciate some feedback on that. The best way you can do that is to go to Apple Podcasts, formerly known as iTunes, and submit a nice five-star review. And if there's one of our experts, one of the guests that we've had on there that said something that made a difference for you, please mention that guest by name. I know that person would appreciate that, and I would also. By the way, if you have any upcoming potential conferences, I'm starting to do a little bit more keynote speaking in all different industries in the topic of client development. I actually launched a new site late last year called the salescasino.com, where I use game theory as a metaphor, teaching people how to get better odds and close the sale. But more about that later. I'll put the link on the show notes. Also, visit our show notes to connect with Jeff Ifra. And as always, this show is sponsored by Leopard Solutions Legal Intelligence Suite of Products, Firmscape, and Leopard BI. Push ahead of the pack with the power of Leopard. And now, here's my interview with my good friend, Jeff Ifra. This is Scott Love. Thanks for joining me on the Rainmaking Podcast. I've got a friend of mine who's a classic rainmaker. We're going to hear his story. His name is Jeff Ifra with Ifra Law. Jeff, thanks for joining me on the show today. Thanks, Scott. It's my pleasure. And this is a real treat because usually the people that I have on here, they're experts in training on business development. They're authors, but you're someone that's actually done it. You've actually built a successful practice. And I remember, I remember the day I called you. That was like somehow or another, I was able to get your receptionist or secretary to give me your cell phone number. I called you on your cell phone number on your last day at Greenberg. And I remember that. You probably don't remember that, but I remember that. And I remember you were going out to launch your own thing. And so I've kind of been an observer of your success ever since. So kind of give us an overview. When did you start your firm? And tell us a little bit about your niche, and then we'll kind of dig in from there. Thanks, Scott. You're right. I don't totally remember that, but I sort of remember that. And it's always great to hear from you. And um, you're a great professional in the field of legal recruiting, and your, your podcasts are super interesting. I think that 
a lot of people have launched podcasts, you know, over COVID. And um, I think they're sort of on a downward trend lately, but yours are really interesting and you have such an easy to listen to voice. So wish you luck with all of these interviews that you do. And I know, I hope that your audience will find this one interesting. So I started my firm in 2009. That must have been around when you spoke to me. It was in That's June. Right. And so 14 years ago, at that point, I had been, I had done government service like you. I was in the military and then was working in the Department of Justice as a special assistant U.S. attorney in New Jersey and then came to D.C. And I joined Paul Hastings and I was there for almost just about 10 years when I had jumped to Greenberg and then jumped again after just about three years. And 2009 was an interesting time because a lot of the companies that were doing business over the internet that we had started working with 10 years before had just really started taking off from a revenue perspective. It's hard for people to remember, but not everyone was using the internet as much as they do today. In fact, in 2009, only about 13% of people bought Christmas presents for the holidays on the internet. 13%. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So it was, you know, the internet had been around for a while and companies on the internet had been around for a while and we started servicing them with their kind of unique needs in 1999. So by 2009, they were larger, they could support their own practice group and they could support me as my own firm. And of course, you know, looking forward almost 15 years later, you know, now we're a firm of of 12 lawyers uh, and support staff and contract attorneys and we're still servicing those same businesses who had originated as internet-only businesses. And that was kind of a unique thing because back then, most people went to shopping malls and retail land-based stores. And we specialize in gaming and most people consumed gaming products inside land-based casinos. And so this was an opportunity to sort of move onto the internet those same products And not necessarily sell them to the same people, by the way, because there will continue to always be people who shop in retail locations and consume gaming products inside land-based casinos for a variety of reasons. But there will also be a separate group of consumers who have now grown and become used to and accustomed to consuming things online. And so they're different consumers. They don't necessarily overlap. And that's this very interesting dynamic that has, and that's the space we work in. It's that intersection of of litigation, regulatory, enforcement, compliance, and internet businesses. So, you know, our clients, like I said, are all basically domain names. Right. They go by online different brands in the poker, casino, and sports betting space. And they're also the suppliers and vendors that support those merchants with payment processing and identity verification, geolocation. So we now kind of live and breathe and work in that ecosystem. That's great. And so when did you start becoming known in that space? And maybe we could kind of define that where you started getting more calls. You weren't actively seeking out business. You were starting to get the inbound calls. Or has it always been like that for you? So listen, you know, it's when I'm thinking about when I was thinking about preparing for speaking with you on rainmaking you know, in a, in a law firm, a traditional big law firm that I was in, you know, a top 10 law firm, a lot of times you're like building business by kind of riding the coattails of a partner. So, right, right. you know, so he or she leads a practice group and you hope at coming in as an associate, if that's your entry point, you hope that you're going to be able to grow with, with him or her. And as his or her practice expands, you hope that you'll be elevated to counsel and to partner and then continue to service those clients and then hopefully 
give to the next generation of, of associates and help them go through the same type of promotional, you know, experience. So that type, you know, in that, in that space, you know, what does rainmaking mean when you're in a big firm and you're in litigation or you're in real estate or you're in tax? It's somewhat complicated because you're, you've got these existing client bases and you're hoping that you can proliferate additional matters from those existing clients. And that's very challenging. That's not my story. I did work in that space and in that context. And when I was at Paul Hastings or Greenberg, you know, you may end up getting more references from fellow colleagues and lawyers than you do from cold calls, you know. With my practice, you know, going back to 1998, you know, it happened to be that we had our first gaming matter. I didn't even know what internet sports betting was in 1998. I mean, I knew a little bit about sports betting, you know, from TV shows, but I I knew the concept because the newspapers always carried betting lines. So so I I always knew there were odds and I, I assumed there was some way of of utilizing that information from the newspaper, but I wasn't really familiar with kind of the businesses and how they were run. And of course they weren't regulated in the US, so it wasn't like mm-hmm. it was a you know a very popular thing. But what happened in the late 90s is that these businesses in Europe that were regulated started to advertise in the United States. And there were regulators that started to notice that. And one of the regulators was in New Jersey. And it happened to be that that regulator used to work with me when I was in the government mm-hmm. in New Jersey. So Someone just sent around a random email around the firm. Does anyone know so-and-so from New Jersey? And I said, yeah, I do. And I got to start learning about, you know, internet sports betting. At that time, New Jersey just wanted it out. You know, they were like, you're not regulated. You're not part of Atlantic City. You need to leave. And it, it got settled very easily. There was no fine or anything. But that client ended up introducing me to payment processors and others. And at the time, for those first 10 years that I mentioned from like 99 to 2009, all the work was litigation and enforcement. It was the government going after these companies. I met the companies. I started to meet their leadership. I defended them and I defended a lot of the um, seizures of their mm-hmm. uh, of their monies and various mm-hmm. things. And as a result of that, I started to, to meet so many people that when the industry did finally get regulated, a lot of those people move around, you know? And so now I would find that you know, someone I spoke to in 2009 is now at this different company in 2012, and he or she is telling, you know, their lawyer, hey, Jeff, you know, I worked with Jeff over here. And um, and so a lot of calls come in that way. I, I always mm-hmm. find like it's, it's it's sort of the most gratifying referral when it's a client that's referred you to another right. client. Yeah. And, and the, the industry is, you know, it appears to people to be so big, but in a lot of ways, the executive teams and a lot of these gaming companies are actually people that have been in the space for a while. And I know all of them because of, you know, of where they were, you know, 10 or 15 years ago. And so a lot of, a lot of the business and the rep and the referrals that come into us, you know, the conversations will start with, I got your name from so-and-so. And that so-and-so is typically an industry executive who I've known for 20 years, or it might even be a company that we just ended up helping. But mm-hmm. you know, this, these business people go to the same industry conferences. They talk to the same people and, when they're looking for a lawyer, they ask their competitors. That may seem strange, but these are people that went to school with each other. They attend the same mm-hmm. conference, as I said. And so, you know, they don't think, why would I help you? You know, <laughs> you're my competitor. But a lot of times they're just like, yeah, so who do you use for this? And like I said, that can be, you know, that can be become one of the best referral sources. Other That's clients. great. Well, this is interesting. I actually took about six different lessons from what you told me, Jeff. And so number one, connections. You knew somebody. 
you had an existing relationship. You made the connection and then it went from there. So I think that's something that people listening to this can take away mm-hmm. is they need to consider who is in their network. Who are the people they're able to stay connected with? And of course, obviously, you've got to be somebody that they can trust that's not going to embarrass them, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And then number two, not just connections, but also relationship. I've heard you talk about this several times in the last few minutes, talking about meeting with them, about staying connected with them. Number three, you did good work. You got results for them. And from that, they're going to share your solutions with people within their network. And so what's happening here is that you are getting your trust on loan. They're lending their trust to somebody else through them. You did good work. Your propensity to solve a problem is something that's a known quantity to them. There's no doubt. There's certainty that you will solve it because of number three, you do good work. And then number four, your network expanded. You talked about how when people move, it's kind of like the uh, you know the seed that falls off the dandelion goes 100 yards away and it creates a whole new field. That's going to be something that happens. People move, the network's going to be expanded. Number five, you know that it's a small world. You know that people talk. And from what I've seen in any industry, bad news travels faster than good news. <laughs> so, so you know it's a small world, which goes back to number three, you did good work. And then finally, number six, you stay connected. You mentioned seeing people at conferences, things like that. You're actively out there staying connected. So I think those are six lessons that we got from you this morning. And so tell me this. I want to kind of find out more about how you stay connected. What do you do at conferences? Do you actively, or maybe you don't have to actively seek them out. Maybe they seek you out now. But is that something that's part of your your marketing plan, so to speak? I'm very fortunate that there are industry conferences around gaming where the conferences are really focusing on the array of products that gaming operators can offer to land-based casinos and also to other mobile operators. And so these conferences are very large and it's an opportunity to be with all of your clients who are actually showcasing their products. And it's not a typical lawyer conference. Like a lot of people, like in the old days, I would go to an ABA conference. And those conferences can be valuable to for, from a CLE perspective and also mm-hmm. to catch up with old friends. But as a reference, like if I had to make an investment and say, what's the better ROI? I would say the better return on an investment is going to a conference where there actually are business leaders who you can talk to. You're not going through general counsel or other in-house lawyers who may or may not ever remember you. And importantly, Scott, they may not be in a position to actually refer business. You know, there's a sort of a, a, you know, a false equivalency made that in-house counsel can refer you to business. That may be true, but for higher state matters, that may not be true. That reference and referral may originate with the board. It may originate with an executive, but, you know, putting yourself, like you said, in a position of trust with those business leaders is very important. That takes a long time to build, but going to places where they showcase to their products and talk to them about how cool their products are. I mean, obviously you have to be honest with them, but assuming their products are cool and asking them who you can introduce them to and what other business relationship would they like and trying to find ways that you can help them, not with a legal matter and not something you're going to be paid for, but something that you can do to show a courtesy, to show you're like a good person. That's the thing that really resonates with most people. And you, you covered a lot in those six points, but One thing I'd like to tell people listening is that you never know where any person in these conferences and in these networks is going to end up. You just don't know. You don't know where they're going to end up and and who they're going to become. And if they end up in a position 
that is good for you. You want to be remembered as a person who was nice and who was good to them and who offered them nice things and who they can say good things about. And I think that's so important. I think that, you know, me and my my partners always talk about how how random certain connections appear to be and how, you know, someone called them after 10 years or 12 years and said, I haven't seen them since this. I haven't seen them since that. What triggers a call like that? It, what triggers it is that they associate you with good work, like you said, and also they associate you with someone they want to work with because you're a nice person. And right. I think that that really goes pretty far. And I think the other piece of that is responsiveness. I think that those things are important, but they wouldn't prove to be as helpful if at the end of the day, you weren't responsive. This is great. So we got tip number seven, be a giver, be someone they can say good things about. And number eight, be responsive. So this is great. You should be a professor of of rainmaking, Jeff. You've done all this and you've really built a brand. You've built a name. You've built that reputation. So let me ask you this question. If you could go back in time and as you were starting Ifra Law in 2009, if there was one piece of advice you would give your younger self, what would that be at some point along the growth of your firm's life cycle? Wow, that's so interesting. I think that it's interesting because a lot of people ask me, you've had so much success and recognition. Should you have started your firm sooner? Should you have gone out on your own sooner? And I think there are a lot of people in big law firms who are thinking about going out on their own. And the question becomes, when do I do that? Right. And you know, you can't do that immediately because brand is so important and experience is so important. And I think that, you know, big government experience and big law firm experience are pretty critical to have. And they help give you experience that helps you inform clients about situations they're in, in a helpful way. And I don't think that you necessarily would have that, even if you were the smartest person coming out of the smartest law school. So you really have to decide, you know, how, if I want to do this thing on my own, or I feel like I'm not really getting the benefits of a big law firm anymore, because I have my own clients, I have, you know, and, and I want to expand them within in a way that I feel comfortable doing, and it's not working for me, you know, the question is how long, you know, how long should you stay where you are before you you take that plunge? And so, you know, the truth is that a lot of times I think about, you know, it went so well in 2009 when I started and I had so much client support. Should I have started earlier? Should I have started, you know, three years before or four years before? But I don't really have a regret associated with that because right. I think that having that 10 to 13, you know, 15 years of experience in what that I had both in government and in private law firms, that really gave me the ability. I learned a lot of super valuable things that I still share with our newer lawyers, you know, in terms of time management and in terms of business relationships and in terms of, you know, communicating with large clients, in terms of how corporate clients are structured you know, where your entry point is, who are your advocates, where are your touch points? You asked me before, how often do I stay in touch with them and what what medium do I use for that? You know, how to properly leverage social media and LinkedIn, when to publish a post, what your post should say. You know, you really get a lot of really good experience and insights from being with large groups of very talented lawyers, which I was with both at Paul Hastings and Greenberg. And so I don't really have, you know, a regret. I think I left at exactly the right time. And I think I made exactly the right move. And thank God, you know, with God's help, it it, it worked out. That's great, Jeff. And what would be one piece of advice you'd give to people listening, whether it's a younger attorney, maybe it's somebody in a different industry that's looking to grow their sales network, what would be one piece of advice you would give to people listening today? You have to find an area of law that really excites you, that you really like. And 
you know, you might find yourself in a practice area that is growing, that keeps you busy, that pays the bills, but you may not really like that. And, you know, if that's the case, try to pivot to something you do like that does excite you because that excitement is going to come across and it's going to resonate with clients and they're going to want you to do their work because mm-hmm. they can tell that you really are invested in it and you enjoy doing it. So right. I would say try to find a, a space that you like and then figure out ways to find who are the leaders in that space and how can you get closer to them or learn from them. And I think that today, a lot of a lot of lawyers are sort of scared or hesitant or may not even believe that there's that much to gain from other lawyers in their space who are business leaders, but reach out to them. You know, when I started a firm, there was a mentor at a firm who did the same thing like 20 years before, and I had lunches with him and he would tell me these little, like little golden nuggets. And I'm just like, you know, I was so lucky and he just did it, you know, out of the goodness of his heart and said, pay it forward. And, you know, and I do that now with younger lawyers who are starting or people who are thinking about venturing off on their own. And I don't always tell them it's the right thing to do, by the way. So right, I don't know if that was one thing, but that's what I would say. Well, that's great advice. And Jeff, I want to thank you for being on the show, for sharing your wisdom with us. Uh, thank you so much. And I wish you all the best. Thank you. You too, Scott. It's a pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Rainmaking Podcast. For more information about our recruiting services for international law firms, visit our website at attorneysearchgroup.com. To inquire about having Scott speak at your next convention, conference, sales meeting, or executive retreat, visit therainmakingpodcast.com.